Wholesaling in and of itself is a very simple thing to do, yet I think people overcomplicate the crap out of it. So I think that's probably the biggest thing, man, is like people come to you with the most random stuff and it's like, dude, 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 you're overthinking it, man. Like, this is like really simple. Welcome back to the Light It Up podcast. If you're new to this channel and you want to know everything about making money in real estate, selling, sales skills, building your business, or investing, then subscribe below, tap the bell for notifications so you can be the first to know what makes our great guests so successful. And we get calls and texts from people just like you every single day. We absolutely love it. So whether you're new in the business or looking to grow, reach out. We're happy to help. All right, guys, let's jump into it. Today, we are super excited to have with us Austin Zayback from the Zayback Group. And you guys are based out in Phoenix, Arizona, correct? Yeah, we are. Awesome, man. Well, we're really excited to have you here today. We're going to jump into a bunch of different topics, uh, real estate sales, wholesaling, uh, everything up and down the gamut. But before we do, why don't you just take a second and introduce yourself? I appreciate you guys having me. It is an honor to be here. And I know you've had a lot of really big names. So hopefully we can drop a ton of value for anybody watching or listening, obviously. Uh, you know, my name is Austin Zayback. I'm 28 years old, you know, and I'm a, a serial entrepreneur. You know, uh, I own multiple companies. You know, we're one of the biggest wholesalers in the nation. We wholesale anywhere from 40 to 50 houses a month on average all over the nation. And we also run a pretty big retail operation, too. So I'm a real estate agent. Um, I've got about 45 real estate agents on my team, you know, and uh, and I own multiple other companies as well. You know, we own an education company, a media company. And and again, you know, I'm just a serial entrepreneur. So uh, always growing, uh, evolving and, you know, learning new information, trying to become obviously the best version of me. Yeah. Love that. Good, man. Well, we're excited to to learn a little bit more about that. But first, let's dive into but the first, lightning round. first, we'll do the lightning round. So... Austin, what's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, man, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. I think that that really stuck with me a long time ago, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna do something, do it 100%, you know, and uh, or don't do it at all, right? I'm an all in or all out kind of guy. So, you know, I either do it at 100%. I do it to the best of my ability or I don't do it at all. Nice. I love that. What's the worst job you've ever had? <laughs> oh man, I've had a lot of jobs. I, I think probably it'd have to be either uh, construction or air conditioning, you know? So uh, those were some of my final jobs that I ever had before I came uh, unemployable. And, uh, you know, man, they were tough. You know, manual labor is, is no joke, you know, at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, I did road construction for a long time and I also worked in the air conditioning, um, you know, industry and, and they were uh, very difficult, very, uh, you know, labor intensive, you know, jobs and, you know, definitely want to applaud anybody out there that is uh, doing that because it, it is not easy. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Who in your life inspires you to be better? Mm, probably my fiance, you know, she, she definitely, uh, you know, somebody that I look to, she, she's, she's dialed in, in a lot of areas and, uh, she definitely inspires me to, to be better in, in every area of my life. Does she work with you? She does. How's that? I love Tough. it, man. I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I, I, um, I always wanted to be in a relationship where we built the thing together, right? Like I never wanted, I never wanted to meet somebody once I had already built everything and then 
wonder like are they in it for the wrong reason right and you see that a lot i think in entrepreneurship you see you know the old guy with the young girl right yep. and you know and i and and i don't i didn't really like that right like i was always like man like if i could find somebody that would go on the journey with me right that would really you know stand by my side through thick and thin through the valley on the mountaintop and everything in between, you know, that is really what I wanted. Now I get that everybody's obviously different, but I love uh, doing it with her. Good answer. John's like, it's horrible, right? <laughs> well, no, it's, it can be, it can be tough if you don't, you know, especially if you got a lot of different businesses and you got a lot on your plate, you know, there's really very little time to turn it off or, or, or it could be that way if you don't have control of it. Yeah, no, it's a rare, rare way to make it work together. All right, Austin, can you share a recent experience of you checking something off your bucket list? Man, I feel like I do that on a regular basis. You know, I mean, dude, like for me, I, you know, I, I want to do everything, man. You know, I think in my life, like I've done a lot of really cool stuff. Probably, dude, like just like serving people, man. I, I love to serve. You know, I'm the happiest when I'm serving people. You know, I've been in Nicaragua three times uh, building houses out in Nicaragua for people. And uh, it's definitely something that I think was on my bucket list, you know, growing up and, and getting a little bit older, you know, just serving people at a higher level, right? I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, obviously, I've done a lot of other crazy crap, you know, I've jumped out of a bunch of airplanes, I've, I've done all the, the standard stuff that you hear people talk about on their bucket list, you know, so for, you know, now, I think it's just a matter of like, building a legacy, and then, you know, serving people at a higher level. Nice. Is there a certain story that sticks with you of an experience you had in Nicaragua? You know, man, I think that we go down there, we, we do stuff like that, thinking that we're going to change people's lives. And we do, right? We do change lives. You know, anytime we go to serve, we go to build a house, we go to Mexico or Nicaragua or wherever in, in the country, right? There's a lot of countries and a lot of people, billions of people that need help. We do it to change their life. And what we don't realize is that we come back more changed than the people we go there to change, right? Mm -hmm. So like... I think that for me, it, it didn't dawn on me that that was going to be the case until I went and did that. You know, like I went to help other people and don't get me wrong. We, we helped a lot of people. Right. But you end up, it ends up doing more for you than it even does for them, which is kind of a wild thought to think about. Right. Yeah. Like, um, so I think that that really stuck with me. Nice, man. All right. Last question. If you could spend a whole day with someone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh man. This is Kiro's notorious, notorious question. Yeah, I, I really look up to God. You know, I, I think that um, like Elon is, is obviously probably a cliche type of answer. I would imagine other people have probably said that, you know, I think he's obviously a brilliant guy in multiple different areas. You know, I think, you know, in business, he's obviously extremely brilliant. You know, he knows how to play the game at a really high level, which I really admire. And I think that's obviously really cool yeah. um, to watch him in action, you know, to even see what he did with Twitter and, and everything like that. I mean, the moves that he's able to make at that high of a level, a level at that caliber is, is obviously really cool. So probably Elon, dude, I think, man, you know, imagine uh, hanging out with that guy for a day, right? Yeah, that'd be insane. It, what's interesting too is he's in so many different sectors too so you can relate with that right yeah if you had to pick so you you shared three of the ones like the wholesaling the residential uh side of the business and then the teaching side if you had to get rid of two but keep one which one would you pick it's really tough man um really really tough question good question by the way you know here here's the thing right you can't educate people if you're not doing the thing 
right? So like I wouldn't be able to get rid of wholesaling or retail and keep education strictly because I'd feel like an imposter, yeah. right? And I think I think there's a lot of people out there right now that are doing that and they sleep at night and I don't know how they sleep at night, right? Yeah. Because I can't for the life of me figure out how they're able to do that. Because, you know, for me, the reason I didn't educate for so long and the reason that I didn't have a course when I could have had a course or a mentorship a long time ago, let me tell you, but I wanted to be the best of the best, right? I wanted to be in the top 1%. I mean, I wanted to get 3000 deals under my belt before I ever started to teach people at a high level, you know? So I'd have to get rid of education and I'd probably have to pick between retail or wholesale. I'm very passionate about both and it'd be very tough to pick which one. I suppose if I absolutely had to pick, I'd probably do wholesaling. Yeah. Just we, stick with the wholesaling. We were talking yeah. about this recently and it's, boom, boom, boom. it's almost like it's the opportunities that you have in wholesaling is easier because the skill set you learn from residential resale is like you can have half that amount of value or half that skill level and you can kill it in wholesale. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, yeah, I think so the, what I've learned is because I've just recently been, been more and more involved in, in wholesaling is that I think the people that could be good at wholesaling are people like me and you because we spent the first 15 years, 10 years of our career, I say 15 for me, 10 for you, hunting for business, right? Like we were taught, like we grew up in the Mike Ferry platform where it's like, hey, there's two ways to get business. You could sit there and wait for it like an open house and you could just be that agent with your feet up hoping somebody calls you or you could be the agent who's going to put on a headset and dial the phone and find yourself a deal because the deal is out there. You just have to find it. So we yeah. spent so many years hunting for business, finding deals, knocking on doors, you know, calling expires, calling Fizbos, that if you have that hunter mentality, I think you could be a great wholesaler because now you're just looking for, you know, you're looking for deals and, and you know, more specifically deals for yourself. Yeah, I love that, dude. I also think wholesaling is the gateway, right? When you think of wholesaling, I think of it as kind of the gateway drug, right? Like, you know, if really to be a phenomenal wholesaler, you've got to be phenomenal at running numbers. You have to understand how to underwrite a deal, right? And I think that that skill set in and of itself will serve you at such a high level in any area of real estate that you pursue, right? So like if you want to go become a massive, you know, flipper, right? You want to be a big flipper or you want to be a big landlord. You want to own a thousand doors. You want to own 10,000 doors or whatever. You know, you have to know how to underwrite a deal, right? You have to know how to look at a deal and determine, hey, how much work does it need? What, what price do I need it at? You know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yep. So I think at the end of the day, it's just a matter of learning how to run the numbers. Yeah. Which one did you start with initially? Was it wholesaling or residential resale? I started with wholesaling. Smart. Oh, really? I feel like the yeah. whole drug of uh, residential resale is like heroin. You get hooked on it. It's so hard to get it off because the wholesaling, you see the, the amount of opportunity that you can get because you're giving it to other people. With residential resale, yep. you're like Agreed, hooked on to different things. Being at the age that you are, because we're very similar in age, and I always get that thought process, and it could be just me speaking out loud, is I feel like I'm getting distracted by the next shiny object when I'm thinking about starting something else or focusing on something else. Did you go through that phase as well, or is that something that you're like, this is in the same wheelhouse? No, I, I definitely went through that, man. You know, I, I failed a lot of times, you know, and, and I think, you know, anybody who's been following me for a long enough period of time has definitely seen that, you know, and, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? And I think, like, we have to remember that in order to succeed at anything, we have to fail, right? Like we, success is not linear, right? Like we don't, we don't start here and then end up here 
And it's just like a linear path, you know, to get there. There's a lot of trial and tribulation along the way. So to answer your question, dude, I, you know, there was multiple times in my journey where I branched off and did something that I shouldn't have done. It was the wrong time. It wasn't that the business was bad or the industry was bad. It wasn't that the idea was bad. It was that I didn't have the capability of going and doing that. And I learned through making the mistakes. So I think now I'm at a place where like, if, if everything, it, yeah, to your point, right? If it doesn't, if I can't vertically integrate mm -hmm. two different things, then I won't do it. Right. So like I learned, you know, when I went and I was wholesaling and I, and I was making a bunch of money and then I went and started like an ATM company or I went and started, you know, some random thing that had nothing to do with what I was doing. That was a bad decision. Yeah. Again, it had nothing to do with the thing itself. That thing was good. It was a good opportunity. It just didn't have anything to do with, with what I was already doing. And so, you know, I think now when I analyze an opportunity, it has to align with what I'm already doing. Yeah, makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. In terms of training agents itself, are you the one that's responsible for it or did you bring in somebody to, to manage the team for you? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I do a little bit of that. Um, I, I typically am on, you know, a lot of our bigger calls. I'm in a lot of the bigger meetings now. Um, you know, obviously it's evolved over time, right? And, you know, we have 45 or so active agents on our team right now. Um, I would say that we've had 300 over the, over the last, I mean, like, you know, uh, the attrition is obviously in, in retail real estate, as you know, you know, um, you could have the best team in the world, but the best leads in the world and the best CRM in the world and the best everything in the world and people, not everybody's going to stay with you. Right. And it has nothing to do with you being a bad leader or having a bad team or a bad culture, bad operation. It's just the reality. It's the nature of the game, you know? And so, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I do my very best to provide value to all of our agents and, and they know that they can call me whenever they can text me whenever I'm always available to my team. Um, but I have a VP of sales, you know, I have um, phenomenal business partners and, and I really truly have an incredible team right at the end of the day. And, yeah. and I have an incredible executive staff, you know, I've got a director of operations and, you know, I mean, I've got the whole thing completely built out now. Yeah. Which is smart. That's super smart. Yeah. One of my mentors recently just told me that like for real estate agent teams, you essentially influence people to work for you for free. And if you can't be profitable with that aspect, then there's something that you're doing completely wrong. And I was just like, <laughs> like damn, jo uh, Josh, thanks. <laughs> like, I appreciate it. Um, the one thing yeah. that's interesting is that I guess in my mind, wholesaling, scaling that operation seems a little easier than it is for uh, a residential sale, right? You know, they're, they're totally different, man. I think that it's a different thing entirely, right? It's like comparing apples to oranges, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think one is not easier, in my opinion, than the other, I don't think. I think that um, it's just different, you know? And, it, and everything about it is so different that it, it's hard to even compare the two, you know what I mean? Yeah. What's, it, the, what's the org structure look like on your wholesaling team? Big picture. Yeah, big picture. I've got, a, I'm not the CEO anymore, so I'm the president. I'm the founder. You know, I've got an acting CEO, acting CFO, COO. I'm the president, like I said. I've got a director of operations in that company. And then we have multiple different, you know, sales managers, obviously, in place and everything like that. So um, the wholesaling is a very well-oiled machine. And we wholesale, you know, on average, about 15 houses a week. Nice. And the way that it starts, I'm assuming, is that you have the wholesale operations you're pumping all the money for marketing in there. And then anything that comes in too high, you give it to the, the residential resale part. 
Exactly. Yep. And vice versa. Right. So anytime somebody, you know, there's a lot of people that come through, they think they want to list their house on the market. And a lot of times they really need a cash offer, you know, which is why if you follow me, you know, one of my companies now is called One Roof Real Estate. Right. And that really is our holding company now that holds a lot of the other companies. And it really is just a solution based company. Right. Because we have the Z the Zayback Group, which is the retail arm. We had the company called Cash for Houses, which is the wholesale arm, and then we have multiple other companies, and we do multiple different things. And so, um, you know, really, One Roof is just the idea that we're a solution based company. We will come in, we will talk with you, the homeowner, and we'll figure out, hey, what 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 do you really need at the end of the day, right? Like, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people are a one trick pony, you know, and I think a lot of people. They only know how to do one thing. Like they're really good at novations or they're really good at subject two, or they're really good at wholesaling or really good at being a real estate agent. And they have, they don't even know anything about the other, the other pillars. Right. And it's like, if, if you can, even if you don't do the other pillars in the beginning, I suggest that you link up with people who exactly. do so that, so you can refer that business. Cause you don't want to turn somebody down. I mean, it, like if you're on a listing appointment and they really need a cash offer, you don't want to just walk out the door. I mean, like, you know, you need to figure out a way to monetize on that. And so we've obviously been able to do that in-house under one roof, but I think everybody can do that at the end of the day. Yeah. It's almost like being an agent, just offering ancillary services, right? I mean, yeah. you know how many deals you lost because, or you lost the title on because you were just like, oh, you know, you can pick whichever title company you like. And then, yeah. you know, Kira and I invested in a title company. And now, of course, we had a piece of the the title business, right? Million so percent. it's funny because I, I think... I used to do a lot of um, list a lot of probate leads, and I would sit down with the sellers as a listing agent, not a wholesaler, just as a listing agent. And I would lose so many deals because the seller would say to me, "Oh well, I'm selling it to this guy, this invest investor, cash investor. They're buying it from me, no inspections." And I would be sitting there pounding the table, "Well, I'm going to get you so much more money," but they're but I'm not. I was never listening. Right? What they were telling me was, "I don't care about the money. I care about the quickness." And I want to yeah, be out of here in three weeks and the convenience and the seamlessness. Uh, and I want to be doing it in three weeks. And that's it. And I'd be sitting here like, but I can get you more. I can get you more. Yeah. When instead, I should have had a second hat on or a second uh, opportunity under one roof, like you're saying, where I could say, oh, well, here are your options. You can go full retail. You'll probably get a little bit more money. Mm -hmm. um, but it's going to take a little bit longer and you may need to do some repairs. Or here's your second yeah. option. It's going to be a cash buyer. They can close in two weeks, probably in, in, in Phoenix. In Jersey, you'll never see a two-week closing, but you can close in two to four weeks, all cash, no inspection, done deal, and just be able to offer yeah. people more options. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your, your wholesaling business. We're, I think mm -hmm. we're interested to hear a little bit more about that. I know you said the org structure, you've sort of removed yourself, but do you guys have like, an like a head acquisitions person and then a disposition team? Where are you guys getting a lot of your leads? I know a lot of wholesalers go direct to the seller. Do you guys do more marketing and have people call you? Talk to us about that. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I mean, we've got a, an entire acquisition team. We have an entire dispositions team. We've got, you know, there's a total of about 25 people probably right now on our wholesaling team, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a built machine. I mean, it, it really is a well-oiled machine. You know, we we do multiple different acquisition strategies. We have so the way that we have our wholesaling company is that we have it broken up into different kind of pillars. Okay, so um, you know we have certain acquisitions people that their entire role 
is direct to seller, right? So all they do all day long is direct to seller marketing. Um, we're calling, we're texting, we're following up, we're getting some inbound. Okay, we do some outbound marketing that that gives us some inbound, um, and they're and they're getting deals that way. Okay, and then we've got another uh, department where all they do is working. All they do is work with real estate agents. Okay, and they're getting deals. Uh, through that uh, methodology, right? And they crush that. And that's all they do all day long, every day um, via either the MLS or agent off market, right? Mm -hmm. So they're building relationships with real estate agents, you know, trying to get deals that way and they crush it, right? And that, and so those two departments are totally separate and we have it and we did it on purpose that way, obviously, right? And then we've got another department where all they do is work with other wholesalers, okay? So um, we call that the supplier department, right? And they're working with suppliers. So they're building relationships with other wholesalers. A lot of the times they're newer wholesalers um, and they've got a massive Rolodex of wholesalers that we work with where, you know, we'll bring deals in and then our dispositions department will obviously just sell that deal, right? And and we we dominate that as well. So. We really have like three main pillars on the acquisition side. Um, and then obviously the disposition side is pretty straightforward. At the end of the day, we have an entire department where all they do is sell deals, right? And they're building their buyers list every day. They're talking to buyers. They know what their buyers are looking for. Um, we're adding buyers every day. We're following up with buyers. We're emailing, we're texting, we're calling, um, and we're doing everything we possibly can to sell the inventory that all three of our acquisition departments will bring in. So our acquisitions departments will bring in the inventory, and then we have our active inventory, and then our dispositions department, their entire job is just to sell that inventory. Yeah. When did you know you had something to scale? It, again, it wasn't linear, right? So like, you know, I, I've been wholesaling for about a decade now, about nine, about nine years going on a decade. Since, since and, you were um, like 11 and a half, right? <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I got in when I was 18, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and so I'm 28 now, you know, but I failed multiple times, you know, again, it wasn't linear, right? So like, you know, over the course of time, you know, I'd make a bunch of money and then we would kind of have to like take a couple steps back and like figure it out and like build out the infrastructure and, and hire new people. And, and so it was really took a lot of time, you know, and I'm sure that when I look back at myself today in five or 10 years, you know, I'm going to look back at myself right now and be like, oh man, you know, I had so much more I had to figure out, right? Because I'm still learning and growing, you know, and, and we're still trying new things and we're innovating and sky's the limit, right? So I think that I was always trying to scale. Yeah. Um, sometimes I tried too soon. Sometimes like, it, you know, there's a lot of variables when you go to scale, right? I mean, like you need the right people in the right position, right? I've, you know, like, and then you need the right systems and processes. You need capital. There's so much when it comes to scaling that it's just like, it's, it really all has to be just right in order to actually scale, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about the scaling process. Like how long ago were you in one of those seats where you were the acquisitions manager or you were the dispo guy or you were the, the one, you know, banging the phones? And then how yeah. did you how did you slowly remove yourself from some of those positions? Um, it's been quite a while for me. Um, I have been in every position in my company at one point or another, you know, um, and I could definitely step back in if I had to in any in any role. You know, I probably wouldn't be as quick as, as somebody who's actively doing it right on my team, um, but I could definitely do it nonetheless. You know, I haven't cold called or anything like that in quite some time. I think that I very early on tried to scale and, and that. I'm not saying that that was like the right thing to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, for a couple of years, I did it all myself, but I really did 
you know, probably when I was like, I don't know, 22 or so, I mean, at a pretty, at least like five years ago, I was doing everything in my power to like, you know, scale, right. And hire people, you know, so um, I've always had a pretty big team. That team has obviously changed over time, you know, and I've had different people have come in and out different partners I've obviously had over the, over the years. And, um, and now obviously, you know, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the lessons you learned from going through those failures? that you see people still struggling with today? You've got to have the right partners. Big, big, big lesson that I learned. You know, partnering with the wrong people can be detrimental. It really will just set you back. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not like you're, you know, you're not going to friggin' ruin your whole life. I mean, hope, hopefully you learn, obviously, but like you will just waste a bunch of time, I think, if you partner with the wrong people. You know, that was a big lesson for me. Um, and, it, and it doesn't mean that like people are bad people. So I think one of the biggest things for me was like, you have to find your yin to your yang, right? Yeah. So if you're a visionary, then you probably don't want to partner with a visionary, right? Like you really do want to partner with like an integrator, like somebody who can take your vision and, and make it happen, right? And I see a lot of people do that wrong. Like two people are really good at the same thing and they partner. And it's like, and now you've got to go hire an integrator, right? So it's not that you can't do it. It's just that like, can you really afford to then go hire the role that you that neither of you have, right? Because if you both are really good at the same thing, then the odds are obviously extremely high that you're both bad at the same thing, right? So yeah. um, I think that is a really big one. I see people do that all the time. Two people that have the same skill set get into business, and I don't know why they do that. Um, so that's a big one, I think. You know, I think the other thing is just like you talked about, bro. I think you talk about like shiny object, right? Yeah. I see a lot of people who they're just getting good at the thing that got them to where they're at. And then they pivot, you know, and it kind of goes back to like, what's the one piece of advice you asked me earlier. I think I gave you a different question. I said, uh, you're like the best piece of advice you'd ever gotten. And I said, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Um, you know, and, and really the other one, um, and I'm, I'm losing my train of thought a little bit, but the other one is just like, don't pivot too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It is like, whatever got you to where you're at, don't not do that thing, right? So I think like a lot of people, you know, the the thing that got them to where they're at, like they they stop doing that too soon and they go and they chase like something else, right? It's like, you know, if, if you're just starting to be a phenomenal wholesaler, you know, don't go try to trade cryptocurrency right. and become phenomenal at it, right? Or like yeah. try to be a stock trader, right? Like at the end of the day, I'm not a stock guy. You know, I'm a buy and hold. I own a bunch of stock, but I'm not going to sit there like Ricky Gutierrez is a good buddy of mine. I'm not going to try to be Ricky Gutierrez. I mean, dude, like I'd have to spend the next decade of my life trying to get that good. Like Ricky's a freaking beast, right? Why would I, why would I do that? I'm, I'm phenomenal at what I do. So you've got to double down, I think, on what you're good at. And I think people in our day and age, they're all over the place, dude. It's like, just stay in your own lane, man. Like run, run, run a freaking marathon. Like, you know? Yeah, no, I love yeah. that. One of the things that comes to mind is like uh, when you're talking about the visionary integrator part, it's like having two Steve Jobs to start Apple. You don't have a Wozniak, so then you need the balance to actually build that company. But yeah. when you talk about partnerships, the most important partnership is a significant other. How long have you been married for? I'm actually Fiance. just engaged. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Just yep. engaged. How long have you guys been dating for? We've been dating for about two years. Yep, about two years. So, so um, I, I, we, I got engaged. Uh, in December. So we were only dating for about four, 15 months, maybe before I got engaged. Nice. So a lot of people yeah. who are in the same age group, they go through a process where they're sacrificing everything to build something. Mm -hmm. How did you build that time? Or how do you know, like, how, how did you go about that for you in your personal life? 
so the question is, is like, how did I, how did I say what, when, tell me the question one more time. Yeah, my bad. So when you're going through that process where you're building, right, there's a lot of sacrifice for personal time, right? Where you don't spend that much time investing to find the right person to go through that whole aspect of it. Now you and your, your fiance work together, right? And it's a yin and a yang. So for you guys to have a personal connection and to work relationship, that's, it took a, a good amount of time for you to invest to find that person, no? Yeah, it did. So what kind of efforts or things did you have to do to actually be able to, to, to say, okay, yeah, she's the one that I'm gonna be able to do this with? You know, I, ju I just was open to it, right? I, I wasn't really looking for a relationship um, at the time that I met her. I, I was open to a relationship, but I wasn't like going to the club. I, you know, I think a lot of people are looking in the wrong place, number one, right? Like they're, they think they're gonna find their their future wife or future husband at the club or the bar or whatever. You're probably not at the end of the day. And if you do find him there, then it might, it probably won't work. You hear that, buddy? Um, That's what all my friends keep telling me. I just, <laughs> it's not resonating. <laughs> He's finding them. He's they're just not the future. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I got introduced to my fiance via a mutual friend and then we met at church. Yes. Right. So our first date was at church. You know, like we we planned a date and, and it was like we the first time we met each other was at church, right? So um I knew day one that our foundation was the same, right? And so um, you know, that to me was obviously really important, right? Again, I think that, you know, you look at the Bible, right? Regardless of what you believe in, I believe this is true. You, you should always be equally yoked with anybody that you do anything with, right? And, and whether that be business or in a, in a relationship, in a monogamous relationship, right? So what I mean by that is no matter what you believe, I think that you should believe a similar value than the person that you're getting into a partnership or a relationship with, right? So, hmm. you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, two people that believe totally different things probably shouldn't enter into a binding agreement, right? You know, so I think it's just making sure like you're on the same page, right? And so I think that's like the biggest thing that I was looking for. And then when I found that, it was just kind of a no-brainer. You know, I think it, I just let it organically happen. Again, I wasn't necessarily looking at that time. I think that it's just a matter of like, okay, if I find it, I find it. If I don't, I don't, you know, but like I was in a lot of bad relationships too. So it goes back to like what we were talking about, right? Yeah. Like it, it ain't linear. You know, I had a, a bunch of crap relationships, you know, that like, thank God, you know, I'm not with them anymore, you know, and, and had it not been for that, you know, I wouldn't have been where I'm at, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's, it, it sounds like you've so, given this speech before to some of your friends, because that's, it sounds very <laughs> similar to what one of my buddies told me recently. Um, sounds like you got to start going to church too. The, the, but, <laughs> but the one thing is also, it's like in alignment for your, like with your, what you're doing already. Right. So you didn't have to change anything habitually about what you were doing. It just naturally organically worked with what was true to you and which is important. And now when you're teaching and you're being exposed because a bunch of people are reaching out to you as the authority to teach and educate them, what are some of the common things that you're hearing or being asked? So I teach in particular right now on wholesaling, right? So to the general public, um, our, our coaching program is a wholesaling coaching program. Okay. Um, so I don't, I'm not teaching retail right now. Um, not to the general public, obviously I'm teaching my team internally, but the general public, I'm just teaching wholesaling with wholesaling. I think people just overcomplicate it. You know, our brand is obviously called flip and simple. Right. And, and I think the idea was just like, keep it flip and simple, right? Yeah. Like don't overcomplicate it. You know, I think wholesaling in and of itself is a very simple thing to do. Yet, I think people overcomplicate the crap out of it. So, you know, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing, man, is like people come to you with the most random stuff. And it's like, dude, 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 you're overthinking it, man. Like, this is like really simple. Like, don't, don't overcomplicate it, right? 
And so um, I think one of the biggest ones is like people can't comp, right? People don't know how to comp a house. I don't think realtors know how to comp either, by the way, which you know how to comp if you're, you need to know how to comp if you're a realtor too. Like, how are you going to go on a listing presentation if you don't know where to price the house? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, you know, so I think learn, learn how to comp, man. And people like, for the life of me, I'm like, just go practice, like sit down and instead of like watching TV, like just sit down and comp houses, you know, like it ain't that, it ain't that hard, you know, but, um, yeah, man, keep it simple, you know? Yeah. I love that. The, uh, one thing that I, I realized, so Jamil and Pace, they both have, uh, Jamil's big to building relationships with the agents and then Pace is direct to seller. Which one did yeah. you find in your personal experience to be more profitable? More profitable. Um, well, it's, it really is a tough question. I don't think one is is more profitable than the other. I think that you, you can make a lot of money in both, and we, and I make a lot of money in both, and I've made a lot of money in both over the years. You know, and I know Jamil very well. I, I know all the guys at Keegley obviously very well. I've known them for a very long time, way before Keegley was a thing. You know, and and they they do it all. I mean, obviously Jamil's talking about like astro flipping, which is the idea of getting deals from real estate agents, but. They, right. they do everything. I mean, they do, they do, you know, they, they work with other wholesalers. They do everything that we do too, you know? So um, we're not, we're not that different. You know, I think that direct to seller can cost more money, right? So I think the, the main question is like, typically when you're doing direct to seller, you have to spend money to make money. Okay. Yeah. So you've either got to do direct mail, you've got a cold call, you've got a text, you've got to do bandit signs, you've got to do uh, radio, TV, commercials, pay-per-click, blah, 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 right? Whatever it might be. And, and that will typically cost you a lot of money, okay? Now, when you're directly to a seller, there is an argument that could be made that you could theoretically profit more on a single deal, okay? Because you're the first line of communication to that actual seller. And hypothetically, that seller maybe hasn't talked to anybody yet, and you're able to get in there and get that deal before anybody else, okay? So mm -hmm. there is that argument to be made. But again, how much did it cost you to get in front of that seller? Okay. So you have to look at what was my net profit on that. And then can I duplicate that and do it 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times in a month or uh, a quarter or whatever right now yeah. with real estate agents. Okay. It doesn't cost any money. Okay. So it's like, okay, now it just maybe takes more time theoretically in the beginning, but eventually agents will just bring you a deal over and over and over and over again. Right. So maybe the argument is, okay, I make a little bit less money working with an agent, which is not always true. I've made a lot of money working with agents. Um, but again, it didn't cost me anything to get that deal, right. theoretically, right? So what was my net profit comparison to the direct-to-seller approach versus the real estate agent approach? You know, I'd have to do some math, but I think they'd probably equal out to being about the same if I had to guess. And obviously, again, it depends on the market you're in. It depends on, I mean, there's so many variables. It's hard yeah. to obviously say, but um, yeah. yeah. But the big difference is that the seller generally has one house to give you, whereas okay. that agent, you create the relationship, that agent could bring you a deal a month. Yeah, you know, if, couldn't if, agree more. If they're a hunter. But, but let me throw this back to you, Austin. In this market where homes, you know, I'm sure it's the same in Phoenix, our homes are going on the market. They're only lasting on the market less than two weeks, getting multiple offers. Why would that agent bring it to one of your wholesalers rather than putting it on the market? I think I know the answer. Well, you just, answered it like yeah. 15 or 20 minutes ago, you know, simplicity, yeah. right? You know, I think at the end of the day, because the agent is just representing the seller. So when you think about 
working with an agent, you are really working with the seller. I mean, you just have an agent that's kind of talking to both of you. I mean, like you're kind of communicating through the agent, right? But at the end of the day, the agent is still representing the seller, right? So I think that if that seller is looking for convenience, which a lot of sellers are in any market, so in any market, you're going to have people who need to sell. That, that'll always be true. It always has been true and it always will be true as long as we have a country, right? So, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. You know, people, people pass away, people get sick, people get a divorce, yada, yada, yada. Like uh, life happens, you know, at the end of yeah. the day, at the end of the day. And so um, I think it's just a matter of like, yeah, you know, just having those conversations with those agents and, and they will bring you a deal. Sure, they're not going to bring you every deal, right? right? They're not, they're not. You know, sometimes the seller is going to say, hey, I want to net the most amount of money that I can net. And that is their only goal. And other times a seller is going to tell their agent, I want out of the deal, get me out of the deal, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then I'm going to get that deal because I'm going to make it simple, right? I'm going to say, hey, you can leave all your crap in the house. I don't care. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll donate it for you. I'll handle it. Don't worry about it. We'll buy it as is. You don't have to worry about doing anything. You don't need, you know, a lot of sellers don't want people to walk through their property all the time. It's like, hey, I need one showing. Give yeah. me one showing. Can you give me one? I need to walk the house one time. And I mean, if it's a good enough deal, I don't even need to walk it at all. I'll buy it obviously without even walking it. But, you know, as opposed to having somebody walk through every day yeah. and you got to get your dog out and you got to get out and you got to go somewhere and you got to let people walk, random people walk through your house. I mean, a lot of people don't want that. Right. Yeah. So I think there's, a, again, there's a lot of reasons why people are all, they'll always sell to a cash buyer, no matter the market. You know, I think people get hung up on the market's hot. Nobody, everybody just wants to list their house. And it's not true. It's like, there's too many people in the world for everybody to want to do one thing. There's always going to be multiple things that yep. multiple outcomes. Yeah. And I think I'll add on is what I was saying before. It's like not everybody. I mean, if I were to sell my home or a property that I own, I'm the kind of person who would want to make sure I get absolute top dollar, but not everybody's like that. Right. Yep. A lot of people would say, Hey, listen, I'll take a little bit of a discount to not do any showings, to not have to do an open house. I mean, as an agent recently, I've been having more and more sellers in the retail business say, I don't even want a for sale sign because I don't want all my neighbors to know. So if you could offer that person the convenience of saying, hey, none of your neighbors will, neighbors will know, we'll bring you a cash buyer, you have a quick sale, and you don't even have to put the sign out front. And you know, a lot of times people just want to get out like that, so. No, yeah, totally agree, dude. Totally agree. And you can, of course, offer that agent who's bringing you the deal. They'll get both sides of the commission, right? They'll, they'll double sure, under. dude. Yeah. Yeah, and, they, and, they, and it's an easy deal for them, right? I mean, the agent really only cares about two things. They care about getting paid and making sure the seller gets what they want. I mean, at the end of the day, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of times the agent cares more about getting paid than they do anything, you know? So, I mean, it's just the reality of it, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Would you consider yourself an integrator or a visionary? Definitely a visionary. So... With the average person starting their career at 20 and retiring at 67, you have 47 years of being able to work and you've gone through, you're 28 now, so you have eight years off of that, you have 39 years left. What does the rest of that journey look like for you? What, what do you see happening? Um, just, I'm a builder, you know, I'm a visionary, I'm a builder, I like to build. Um, I get bored very quickly, I like to build. You know, I think that uh, the future is, is, is bright. I don't know, you know, I think that 
we're doing a lot of really cool stuff. I definitely want to help a lot of people in my life. You know, I'd love to eventually be an author. Um, I'd love to eventually, you know, speak on a lot more stages and get out in front of a lot more people. Obviously, right now I'm focused on just building, yeah. you know, so I'm not doing as much of that. I, I say no to a lot of of uh, speaking engagements and stuff like that right now just because I've got to focus on what I'm doing, you know. But, um, you know, I think I want to build a lot more companies and I want to hire a lot more people. And I'd love to, um, again, I'd love to obviously travel. I mean, there's so many things that I have yet to do. But the main thing, I think, is just like building. I want to build as much as I possibly can. Nice. Spoken like a true visionary. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I just wish I knew what a visionary and an integrator was when I was 28. No, for real. Well, yeah, dude. It still took you a while. He was like, we were, we took EOS. Do you know what EOS is? Uh-huh, I did very well. So in EOS, he was just like, I don't get it. Once the visionary's done laying down the vision, what's the point of the visionary? And then he was like, I don't get <laughs> well, it. Well, I'm like, dude, what? Don't get it. All right, we'll sit down. On January 1st, we figure out the vision. Yeah. Like, are you not going to help with anything after that? <laughs> <laughs> i'm yeah, like really sure. our vision shouldn't change too much yeah you know the visionaries always got a new idea i've always got a new thing that i want to do you know there's always another thing every day right i've got a new a new creative solution i've got a new process that i'd like to see implemented i've got a new strategy that i want to test out i've got a new way of doing things i've got a new company that i want to start i've got you know, i've always got another idea right and it always is i'm always paving the way for everybody else to travel that road, you know, at the end of the day. And, and obviously that's extremely valuable. It is. Awesome. He just doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What's something that you want to leave the audience with? You know, man, um, just get out there and make your goals and your dreams a reality. You know, at the end of the day, we, we all have struggle, right? And we all have, you know, self-limiting belief. And we're, we're all, you know, I think we live in a world where like, you know, we think that if we have like anxiety or we have depression or we or we have a self-limiting belief or whatever, that we can't achieve our goals. You know, we can't put ourselves out there. And and I just want to let everybody know that I've struggled a lot in my life. Right. I've had all I've I, you know, I've had self-limiting belief. I've had literal obstacles that I've had to overcome mentally, physically, you know, emotionally in every area of my life. And I, I still wake up and, and do it anyways, you know, and and I think it's just like, don't give up, don't quit and you're the only person in your way, right? Like nobody else is in your way. You're in your own way, you know? And I think that no matter what it is that you're struggling with, no matter what self-limiting belief that you have or what insecurity you have or whatever, like you just got to get out there and do it, man. You know, because like you're God's highest form of creation, right? Like you're a literal human being. Like you could have been anything. You could have been a plant. You could have been a freaking dog, a cat, a walrus. Like you're a freaking human being living on planet earth in 2023. And if you're listening, you're probably in America. And like, if you're freaking broke, if you're homeless in America, you're in the top 1% of the world. So stop making excuses and get out there and make it happen. Love that. Who helped you overcome your limiting beliefs? I'm still overcoming them. You know, you don't overcome limiting beliefs. You know, I don't believe that, right? I believe, you know, I listen to Ed Milet talk and Ed Milet, you know, still talks to this day about dealing with imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. right? And the guy's worth, what, 500 million, yeah. 700 million, I don't know. He's got a brand new jet. He's got a house in Malibu. He's got a house in Coeur d'Alene. Like he's still dealing with imposter syndrome, right? And, and so I think that you don't, man, you don't. You know, I wake up and there's days where I wake up and, I, and I'm like, I can't do it, right? And I'm like, and I don't wanna do it. And I don't feel like doing it. And I don't think I can do it. And I'm not good enough or I don't, I'm not whatever. And, and then you just have to do it anyways, you know? Yeah. And so I, I don't think that you ever get over it, man. I think that it is the daily act 
of waking up and doing it anyway, right? And and however you have to do that, do that. So like go to therapy, get a coach, hire a mentor, watch podcasts, meditate, read the Bible, like whatever floats your boat, you know, but at the end of the day, do it and then keep doing it and do it every day. I love it. That's so powerful. Awesome, man. And what's the best way for someone to reach out to if they want to re uh, connect or collaborate? Yeah, shoot me a DM, you know, on Instagram at Austin Zayback. Um, I'm on, I'm at, at Austin Zayback on any platform, uh, but IG is probably the best way to reach out. Sweet, awesome, man. man. Well, thank well, you, thank you so much. With us, man. Appreciate it, brother. Really appreciate you guys letting me uh, on your show and it was an honor.